Today our guest is Richard Doty. He is the CEO of Cypress Concierge Medicine. And Richard, it is great to have you here. I'm going to uh, your resume is impressive, and your uh, position and Cypress's position out in the concierge medicine and direct primary care space is well known. And we're happy to have you here, and I want to let you share because you're the best at telling uh, your story. Uh, so, Richard, thanks for being our guest today on the Docpreneur podcast, and we want to talk today about how the changes in Washington are going to impact concierge medicine from a patient, provider, and even employer perspective. So welcome to the show, Richard. Well, thank you, Michael. I certainly appreciate uh, you having me, and it's a great honor to uh, to visit with you. So, Richard, tell us about how you got into concierge medicine and how Cypress started. Well, Cypress um, officially launched about six years ago. Uh, my background has been working in joint venture capacities with physicians and hospitals, on uh, outpatient type ancillary services and uh, had the opportunity to meet many physicians from, from a variety of specialties. And, and, um, and through the process of truly joint venturing, really uh, was able to understand the financial position of physicians and the specialties that, uh, that they came from. And during the course of developing relationships and serving on various boards, uh, developed very close friendships with a number of physicians, and and uh, one of which specifically was internal medicine physician. And in that relationship, um, began to understand, you know, some of the challenges that uh, you would normally recognize or see not being in the churches like our primary care physicians are today. And the decisions that um, were being considered, the the options for for established physicians and the way that um, the landscape had changed from a from a revenue standpoint, from a compliance standpoint, from an aggravation standpoint, um, you know, the the for many physicians that like that, um, who were seeing volumes of patients and not really being personally or professionally satisfied, um, those are that was my real understanding and those joint ventures of what a primary care physician. Uh, was dealing with. And again, you know, I'm like anybody, I'll go to the doctor when I'm sick and, you know, and I try to avoid it as much as possible um, for the obvious reasons, you know, being busy um, like we all are. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to, to go to a doctor uh, to get a prescription and keep half a day. And that was, you know, my perception of primary care for a lot of these, uh, you know, for, for, for me personally. And so, in the relationship of this particular physician, as we, we really got to know each other, he was considering, you know, concierge medicine. And his consideration was four to five years in, in the making. And finally, and this is him, his story, and it really resonated with me. On a Sunday evening, his wife looked at him and said, you, you can't do this anymore. You know, physically, you can't do it. You know, and he was seeing 35 or so patients uh, a day on average. And then he began to look at concierge medicine as an option. He had been he had been solicited by, you know, several organizations and it wasn't quite the right right fit, but he made the decision to move in that direction and he did it independent of any organization, any any structure. And I had the opportunity to watch him through that process. I watched the transition. I watched the educational component. I watched what made him unique. 
uh, as a physician and the direction he wanted to go within his individual practice, and it didn't really fit the mold of some of the other companies and the, the platforms that they were promoting and things that they had to do to be a, a, a part of those organizations. And so he did it independently. And again, our relationship being very close like it was, uh, I was in the process of divesting of some interest in some other companies um, because of some some family decisions that we had made. Uh, but this doctor um, encouraged me to take a look at the space um, as a as an investment, you know, as a as a direction. Because again, I was making some personal changes, and uh, and so we basically watched the, his practice for about six months and decided, yeah, it's an impactful space and it's a direction in medicine that we could easily recognize the trends, um, what patients wanted, even from my own personal experience. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the, the number. I wanted to be the person. And um, so it was just a fit. And so Cyprus officially launched in January of 2012. And it's been very exciting and impactful both for us individually and us as a company to see the impact to physicians and their patients. And um, um, so it's been an exceptionally rewarding experience. Well, and you have a unique experience because you have um, a career in healthcare, uh, the healthcare financial industry. And you know, as you've said, you had sold and bought numerous entities over the years, and so it brings a, your experience brings uniqueness to the concierge medicine um, physician environment. And Cyprus um, has done a number of physician conversions over the years. Is that correct? That is correct. And some of the things, again, going from uh, my personal experience and understanding the financial position of physicians, um, we're a privately held company by design. Um, and so we were able to be more aggressive in some areas, and we felt like it was reasonable. Again, um, there's a lot of a lot of options for physicians, and again, Cyprus is not right for every physician. Uh, we think we're right for many physicians, as as we've demonstrated. But there's there there are things that we've done to really build around the physician themselves. You know, what are the things that that create the passion for that physician? And you know, every physician is uniquely different. So not putting physicians in a box and, a, and really building and benchmarking around the things that really, you know, give them the, the fight in their gut, you know, that want to make a difference and how they can uh, make a difference. And so, so we structured a, a little bit more of a flexible platform designed to be more, you know, attentive um, and uh, towards the physician as well as, you know, contractually speaking, you know, we looked at the revenue model from a business standpoint, the return on investment. And again, being a privately held company, uh, we're not held by, you know, an investment bank or driven by Wall Street and projections and, and margins. Um, you know, we feel like if it's good business, it's good business, whether it's a small margin or, or a better margin. Again, you know, so that that's really the basis for why Cyprus. Matter of fact, I had this is kind of a funny story. I had a physician going through the vetting process and probably wasn't the right for Cyprus. But because our fee structure is demonstrably different than most of our competitors, um, the, the comment was made that Cyprus is more of a discount store versus, you know, a, a Macy's or one of the higher boutique type places. And this happened to be a conversation with uh, the physician and their spouse. And I, I, I told this, this, uh, this couple that, you know, we could certainly charge more. And if they want us to charge more, we would. But 
it wasn't the right business model for us. We knew the level of service that we could provide would compete with anybody. But there was no reason for us to be excessive in our fee structure or restrictive in our agreements. Um, so again, there's, you know, Cypress's position, I'm not saying we're holier than thou, I'm not saying that at all, but there's a reasonable position to take and competition is, is just simply what it is. We're, we're seeing tremendous movement in the space, but the, the structure of Cypress has been very deliberate. It's reasonable for the physician. It's reasonable for, for us as a business. There's a nice um, medium there that creates an opportunity for, for long-term relationships by choice, not by contract, if that makes and sense. If, oh, absolutely. And if people want to go um, visit you online, your website address is yourcypress.com. That's Y-O-U-R-C-Y press.com your cypress.com um, you're also on Facebook and, and LinkedIn as well um, and there's bios of physicians and, and your executive team as well um, but as we dive into and, and Cypress is obviously a clear champion of physician careers and helping to um, make the patient experience better something that we've been having uh, conversations with uh, various companies and uh, physicians out there is you know, what is the perspective, the public relations, you know, perspective of people in their in primary care and family medicine? And overwhelmingly, it's it's ugly and it's it's inconvenient and it's unaffordable. And we're, you know, you and and so many others and physicians out there in the marketplace that you guys have worked with are trying to essentially make medicine elegant again. And um, I'm glad to, that you guys are out there and uh, con you're continuing to champion those uh, physicians and their, help them in their careers. Because as you said, there's so many that call and say, look, I can't do this anymore. Or the spouse says, you're not going to make it if you keep, up, keep this up. Um, but as we talked a little bit about earlier, um, there's been some big changes in policy lately. And um, talk a little bit about how that's going to impact concierge medicine. Talk about how Washington could possibly impact um, the future careers of physicians in America. Well, that's a great question too. And, and again, you know, it's all speculation at this point. We know where we are and we know what we have. I think the optimism going forward versus the, the, um, the vision of where we were for, for many doctors um, having Know, the the challenge with um, the force. Let me restate that, Michael. Um, the changes in Washington, you know, again, they're they're unknown at this point. I think we all hold uh, a high level of optimism towards some potential clarity from an insurer standpoint. Before things happened that weren't necessarily expected as the changes were put in place several years ago. And from a physician standpoint, um, again, respecting what they do, not walking in those shoes, the uncertainty uh, creates a tremendous level of uneasiness. I think the, that what's possible with some of the changes in Washington will be that competition will exist much more than it does today from an insurer standpoint. And one thing we know, uh, and competition creates opportunities for consumers. Just like before there were Cypress, 
you know, again, there's, there's a number of quality organizations in our space. The more competition creates more options for buyers. So for doctors, for example, you know, on our side, you know, price points have changed dramatically from a fee structure. You know, what does a company like Cypress charge versus other companies, and why is that? Well, competition leads to, to those kind of choices, better service, better, better options. And from a payer standpoint, the hope that we have is that some of the restrictions from state to state will be lifted so that insurers can compete in other areas. And so what we hope to see happen is plan will be better because of competition, costs will come down, and there'll be clarity, uh, the possibility for more utilization of, of HSAs and FSAs from an employer standpoint. And what many membership practices don't do is they don't structure an element within those memberships to be to be HSA, FSA compliant. And again, there's a lot of elements to the future of our healthcare system, but competition would be the first thing that could be amazingly impactful. Some payers, and as, as membership medicine physicians know, some payers take an adverse position on those type of practices and remove those physicians from network. So hopefully competition may create more, uh, more compatibility with payers and those membership practices and the membership fees. Those are unknown yet. However, there are ways to still structure for compliance uh, if practices are willing to do that. Um, from an employer standpoint, uh, we all know that we have a very large number of individuals in our country that are out of the labor force, not by choice, but they just simply stop looking. And current healthcare legislation from an employer standpoint, and I speak from some experience in this, um, it, it curtails the ability to hire for the whether it's the penalties or the unknown expenses all of these things or just simply the rising costs of health care so hopefully with the clarity potentially within the some of the modifications or redirections that will be implemented out of washington employers will have clarity and begin to hire more aggressively than they do now. Part-timers will become full-timers. Um, companies will, will understand what their liabilities are as it relates to healthcare expenses, therefore can budget for those items and understand truly what their growth capacities are. And so again, very hopeful in that regard. You know, no one has a crystal ball that can look in and say, this is what it's going to be. But these are some of the some of the optimism that we have and some of the, the, the change coming, coming forward. In addition to that, well, in addition to that, you know, the, the, um, the position that Dr. Tom Price has, uh, you know, we're hopeful that his voice will, will be, be received very well because his position on concierge medicine is, is outstanding as well as Dr. Ben Carson. So, we feel like some of the changes in Washington, there are some leadership positions that uh, will be occupied by um, individuals who are very outspoken in regards to uh, the membership medicine platform.
absolutely. And I think, you know, you touched on something with the employer's side of it, and that is, um, and I've I've only seen a few physicians really, you know, that that have experience and uh, have years in, I mean, we're talking over a decade's worth of experience in the concierge medicine um, space as recognizing that the healthcare expenses of a particular business, really, regardless of whatever size it could be, is enormous for for companies. And if you could come in, uh, or, you know, not necessarily one physician, but uh, possibly a network, you know, a, a geographic citywide network of physicians come in and talk, you know, to a business or an employer and say, here's how much you're currently spending. And they look number to numbers, you know, CEO to CEO and they, you know, or MD slash CEO to CEO and say, it looks like you're spending this amount on your healthcare dollars each year. Um, I think we could come up and devise a plan with your benefits manager, you as the CEO and owner of the company, and our four or five practices located throughout the the city. You know, we could probably provide healthcare for some of your employees. Your benefits manager could help with the insurance side, and you know, and physicians and employers who are understanding that healthcare is a humongous expense for so many businesses out there that really that's a really great way for a lot of businesses to save money and be able to reinvest that saved money into you know marketing into you know operations whatever it might be and so i think that it's wise that you're you're talking about that and already considering how to be able to help businesses move down that track do you have anything else you wanted to add to that well, there's a whole world of opportunity as it relates to that. I think that you know many companies have have begun the uh, the implementation of of um, on-site you know providers um, started to incorporate um, different type of motivational situations where maybe it's let's let's uh, lose weight together and and create accountability through a provider. Um, I think that. You know what? What a lot of times gets lost are the majority of employees work for smaller companies, and the impact that a physician has to to engage in those opportunities. So, um, you know, from a membership standpoint, you know, we have physicians who have executive team memberships with large corporations, and it's been extremely impactful. You know, but when you look at the healthcare costs, you know that's one element of expense to an employer. What most people lose in that, because the, see the thing about a, when you look at those, those are risk management pools and participations and those type of of opportunities. But those are so far down the road. It's hard for an individual physician or a small group of physicians to really put themselves in a position to participate in a platform like an ACO. When is that money actually going to going to get paid? When do you get the reward for the work that you put in? But if you take a different approach from an employer standpoint of what's the impact of a healthy workforce? What's the impact of mitigated loss or, or minimizing or mitigating lost time, reducing it significantly? What what are the benefits of having a physician that can engage in those type of of initiatives where you know you have a healthier, happier much more productive work, workforce, what is that worth to the company? What's a sick day cost a company? You know the, the cost from a benefit standpoint, what it costs you, but what does it cost you in that production? Okay, you can put a hard dollar on it, but you can't put the indirect you know, loss on there. So 
again, I think a, I think a direction from a concierge standpoint, if 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 I'm talking to a group of concierge physicians, my 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 suggestion to them would be because again, it's not about Cypress or a company specifically. Physicians have to be individually motivated to make a difference. Those that want to sit back and have it brought to them don't necessarily make the best concierge physicians. That doesn't mean that a physician who's at their their you know in their wheelhouse, their their max capacity, or you know have have really hit the sweet spot for their membership numbers, for their personal life, their professional life. The balance is phenomenal. For physicians that are wanting to to expand their practice and and again, the employer opportunities are endless, but it takes a physician really committing themselves, and hopefully they've got a company around them, again, not to make a commercial out of this for Cypress, but have a company that can support that effort, kind of direct a physician and how to approach what the, the talking points are, uh, what the conversation should be. But again, it, it centers on the passion of the doctor, but they have to have that willingness to, to be impactful, to actually be impactful, and they can. So again, kind of a long answer on the employer side of things, but it's uh, there's there's plenty of business available for doctors who want it. They just have to be willing, and this is kind of difficult sometimes, but they have to be willing to take that initiative. And we're talking with uh, yeah. our guest today is Richard Doty. Uh, he is the CEO of Cypress Concierge Medicine, which is found at yourcypress.com. And we'll have all the contact information in the description you see here below. Um, Richard, and on that note, um, you, know, you know, we all wish, and we get the calls every day, as I'm sure you do, you know, some people sometimes wish that we could be, we had a crystal ball and we could tell the future of what's going to happen in policy, what's going to happen in, you know, with this particular, you know, discussion in, in concierge medicine or even in healthcare. Um, one of the thoughts is in, on the employer side is, you know, what is your thoughts? Because I think that uh, consulting co organizations, and I think we're going to start to maybe even see more move in as concierge medicine and its um, what I would call a sister business model, direct primary care, become more and more popular and become more and more talked about. But I think that there will also be a, a, a point of which it, it reaches its tipping point, and then it's going to be difficult to recruit physicians into these business models, regardless of if there's an easy way to scale them. But do you think that there will be creation of small geographic networks of physicians who do these types of cash-only business models or subscription healthcare models, similar to a Netflix? Or uh, do you think that those will rise, uh, whether it be physician-run or whether it be more formally structured? Um, that will try to create these networks similar to managed care. Um, and we we both know and understand managed care very well, but do you think that that could happen in the next few years um, as they try to figure out and create ways to work with employers? Because a lot of, um, maybe not so much on the concierge medicine side, but a lot on the direct primary care side are having trouble and, and difficulty and challenges scaling a business model because of its low monthly fee structure. Concierge medicine has somewhat of a, a higher fee structure and, and usually participates in Medicare or insurance of some form. It's usually a case-by-case -case basis, and uh, different uh, organizations have different ways of handling that. Um, but speak to that a little bit about what you could, what we could possibly see in the future with the creation of networks and working with employers. 
Well, again, you're talking about two different delivery models because from a direct primary care versus concierge, you know, the, there's a lot of different um, definitions, if you will, to, yep. to each of those, and they're not singularly defined. Um, from from the the networks, uh, certainly there's going to be a business uh, scenario that'll that'll that will grow. And I've had conversations with recently with um, very influential uh, national healthcare individuals that ha are structuring um, those type of models. And the difference between concierge versus the employer model. See, those are those are really entirely different. And and again, not to confuse the conversation, but a concierge physician is is truly built on the personal relationship. You know, we we have a limited number of providers. The the gap is widening. Quality providers and the number of of patients or individuals that that need primary care physicians that that need that. Uh, the numbers just don't work. And so there's various forms, whether it be telemedicine, you know, you can click on here and get your, your diagnosis and get your medications and off you go. But there's no real benefit other than a symptomatic response. Um, so on a concierge side, you know, a network that way is going to be more challenging because, again, physicians are driven on their individual passion. If a doctor is looking for an employment model, which that may be that type of scenario, because there'll be some business people, there'll be some investment dollars that there's a lot of healthcare investment dollars that are available that'll chase good, good con concepts. But at the end of the day, um, people connect with their doctor. And so when we look at a concierge platform, and again, I've, I've had this conversation more often than really I, I would ever think that I would have to have it, but it's all about the relationship. And so to truly charge, so you talk about a DPC um, membership subscription versus a concierge. Well, concierge is extremely personal. And if the physician's not, then they're not going to be successful long term. So the, the relationship is critical. So networks that are developing, we're, we're, the, the networks have benefit in addition to having provider access, you know, there's some additional elements that could touch employers specific to what that employer's direction is, and you can build provider teams that way. But I, I think from a concierge standpoint, which is the area that we speak from, you can dilute the, the, the impact almost immediately without relationship. And so, and again, there are many patients that want that and they pay for that. But from a concierge standpoint, um, I don't foresee a broad network because every doctor, even within large companies, concierge companies, they're different and they practice different from the next doctor. So I think the individuality and the personal relationship are mission critical to a successful concierge practice if they truly are concierge as we define it versus, you know, a provider network on an employer side. So I think a DPC model, that's probably much more advantageous because it's less relationally driven. It's more, you know, it's a, it's just cash business and, and it's more about, in my opinion, more about access than, uh, than it is the time you normally would take with a concierge position. Sure. And our guest is Richard Doty, the CEO of Cypress Concierge Medicine, and the website is yourcypress.com. 
Um, Richard, we uh, uh, were both at a recent conference and where Tom Price was uh, the keynote speaker. And one of the um, comments that I that resonated still today is that he had mentioned in his keynote address to the concierge position and uh, membership medicine community, and you were a part of that as well, is that we have an appreciation in Washington about what you do. And um, there is moves according to, you know, media reports like the Wall Street Journal late last week, um, you know, outlining his four key legs of uh, the, the Tom Price health care plan and what he's uh, hoping to, to do. He has a plan, which is wonderful. And one of those plans is to, you know, have FSA and HSA dollars, uh, you know, be able to contribute to this, uh, to these types of business uh, care, these healthcare delivery models. And so it is up to, and he was continuing to say this, it is up to, you know, you as physicians and your patients to let us know in your local communities and in the national playing field, to let us know that that's something that you desire and you continue to want. And obviously, a lot of people voted for a conservative Republican. Well, um, it's debatable. Obviously, everybody has an opinion. We're not wanting to get into that. But certainly, Tom Price's pick for Health and Human Services Secretary is a, a move in the direction of a positive direction, uh, particularly for concierge medicine. Um, do you have any additional thoughts on how this could impact patients um, and the Medicare population? Any uh, thoughts on that? Because a lot of the subscribers and a lot of the utilizers are over the age of 50 and 65. Right. Well, from an HSA, FSA standpoint, when you put uh, the consumer in charge of how they spend their dollars, then I think you're going to see a much greater value in the use of those dollars. Um, and again, I'm of the opinion that um, I'll spend my mo money more wisely than someone on my behalf. Um, so that's just a personal opinion. So I think there is likely to be an expansion of employers who utilize plans and offer HSAs, FSAs. And again, the IRS has been very specific on on what what are are usable funds and and how those funds can be used. And from a concierge platform, again, I'm not going to um, share the secret sauce in some of what we do. I'd uh, be happy to speak to any physician about, you know, the incorporation of that. And, again, the utilization of those dollars, it just puts the patient back in charge, and uh, we love that. We think that's a great thing for for business in general, putting the customer in charge of how they spend their own dollar. As far as the Medicare, um, the Medicare population, you know, that's – you know, you, you, you know, obviously not a physician, but – the reality is the, the utilization of resources with that age demographic and that aging demographic is significant. And unfortunately, most practices today that are busy, they don't accept new Medicare patients. Now, the benefit to a concierge platform is many physicians have capacities. Very few, very, very few concierge practices are at capacity. You know, and, and that may be contradictory to what is what is publicly thought, but the average concierge practice when all they have are concierge patients uh, across the country is less than 350 patients. And so what that says is if you were to survey those physicians with those panels and ask them if they want more, almost without exception, they're open to taking new patients. And so that becomes an opportunity for the placement of those Medicare patients. And so 
would there be you know the what what has happened of late in the last couple of years is the addition of a CPT code 99490. It's a dual chronic condition management that most physicians do not capitalize on. They're doing it, and it, it justifies the additional time. So I think Medicare's made some, or CMS has made some, some strides towards helping physicians economically with the management of those, those uh, chronic patients. And so I think from a concierge medicine standpoint, uh, there are Medicare patients who need quality physicians, and concierge medicine is a phenomenal place for them. And again, with CMS providing some additional um, funding or or adding that CPT code, uh, the first thing that we would do is recommend that physicians, they're doing this anyway, they just don't know, know how to uh, utilize um, and and, uh, maximize those reimbursements that are truly necessary for them. So kind of a long answer there, Michael, but I think that the more concierge physicians that that we have in this country, the more capacity they're going to have for an aging population because that population desperately needs time with great physicians because, again, the healthcare dollars that go to that segment of, of our population are by far and away uh, disproportionate to the rest of the population. And again, our guest is Richard Doty, CEO of Cypress Concierge Medicine. You can find him at yourcypress.com, again, as well as all the contact information and telephone description is right below you. Um, Richard, you uh, work and hear the, um, I guess, the, the Concierge Medicine 101 inquiries from curious spouses, curious physicians, hospitalists, you know, we get them all the time. Uh, you know, the calls about just tell me about where to start, what I need to do, how do I learn about this? Um, you know, that kind of goes on a, on a on a national level because you are working with physicians nationally. Are you seeing an increase um, right after the election? I mean, it's really kind of too early to tell because we're only a month out. But even if we're speaking over the last year, I mean, since the ACA dropped a few, several years ago, we noticed uh, a spike in patient inquiries, prospective patient inquiries, searching for these types of doctors. We certainly noticed a lot more physician inquiries moving into this. Do you think that that um, inquiring curiosity will continue um, moving forward? Or you know, we see, and, and I think that we learn from each other as well as other thought leaders in the in the space that you know this is. A, a space, a healthcare delivery space that's growing moderately. It's not necessarily one of those media reports that says it's a sudden surge or a spike in the amount of doctors moving into this. That's just not what we see. And I think that you probably would echo that, but we see it as a moderate growth rate. Do you think that that moderate growth rate will continue or do you think that will, um, you know, will this be a, will this always appeal to physicians and hospitalists? Uh, because you know we started to see some physicians move move back and it, it move back into a hospital setting or move back into another traditional setting and the reasons are all over the board it's not necessarily that they didn't like concierge care direct primary care model it just maybe didn't fit their personality um, you know you and I have been to you know, it's had conversations with, so you're telling me I have to be nice, you know, <laughs> like, well, that wouldn't work for a doc like you. But um, speak to that 
rise and what you hope to see or what you're currently seeing in the last year in the amount of curiosity of physicians uh, looking into these business models? Well, I think it's twofold. I think, first of all, um, there's a certain curiosity that most physicians have because, again, the the description of a concierge physician, uh, what's not to like about that professionally? So if you're a physician and you want more out of medicine, then being able to to be in a in a successful concierge practice is uh, is just a great area to be. And so yes, we do see physicians who maybe have been ER or or urgent care or hospitalists that that do look to move into the space. But unfortunately, um, in order to do to develop a concierge practice, most of them will have to subsidize or moonlight, continue to do those type of uh, of additional commitments they would have to have to, to fund the growth because it's the process is there's an investment there that is required. Um, but the biggest thing from for physicians who are looking to move into the space, and and it may be changing somewhat, but we still see loyalty as the absolute key ingredient. You know, there's there's several key factors. You know, you can fall in love, you know, overnight. But loyalty comes over time, and patients need time with their physicians to really trust them to follow them. And so that's what we see there. But as far as an overall growth, I can only speak from, from you know, our standpoint. Uh, we are at an extreme accelerated growth rate, um, and which we're excited about. But the quality of physicians moving in this space is fantastic. So we would anticipate some acceleration overall um, again that's just based on what we've seen from a trend uh, michael you know those trends better than i uh, however it continues to be a positive trend and, and you also mentioned physicians who have been in this space that are leaving this space and there are reasons for that and um, i think you know coming into the this space the vetting process uh, of what it takes to qualify and to educate physicians on truly what it takes, some are just not willing to do that. Um, and that is that can be a humbling experience uh, to to all parties involved. Um, it doesn't happen very often. And again, we've, we've known physicians from various parts of the country who have tried and, and not succeeded, not with Cyprus, but you know, we, we can, can see those in various parts of the country. And, but that's in anything. So I would say, Failure is a part of life. Uh, people make wrong choices, make wrong moves, um, and uh, certainly that that happens in our space as well. But our expectation is a continued um, uh, accelerated growth trend from Cyprus's standpoint, and don't see any anything from a legislative standpoint or or anything else um, that would deter that. I also would add this. We, we see uh, physicians who are making rotations uh, in an intern capacity that are reaching out to some of our physicians that are trying to shadow physicians uh, that have truly successful concierge practices. And so it's exciting to see uh, that younger generation of physicians uh, moving in this, this direction. And I'd also add that from Cyprus's standpoint, we see that the most popular 
demographic of physicians moving in concierge medicine, they're literally in their 40s. So 10, 12 years as an established practice and making that move. And what could be more exciting? I mean, it's just really exciting to see um, physicians who've got their career in front of them versus their career behind them that are moving into space and will be impactful to their patients for decades to come. It's very exciting. That is. And our guest is uh, Richard Doty, the CEO of Cypress at yourcypress.com. And uh, Richard, I'm glad you talked about the eloquence and kind of the high quality and high, you know, qualification that a physician of this type usually is when they consider this is, you know, there's there's not too many that, you know, inquire that really don't decide to do it or make the decision in the next year, like, yeah, this is something I'm going to do in the next year. And then once they've made that leap into this, you know, a lot of them have always said to us over the last decade of covering this industry is, look, this was the hardest thing I ever did but it was also the most rewarding and my patients love it. And, you know, there's sure, there's always going to be, you know, one or two patients who leave the natural attrition, um, you know, expectations weren't met. And we find that, you know, if a patient does leave these types of practices, it's really because of the expectations were not met. But usually those patients end up, funny enough, finding another physician of that type of membership medicine mentality, membership medicine program within the within their community and continue the the story, you know, of hey, I really like this type of care and I you know, and not getting back to too much policy, but I think uh, Mike Huckabee uh of Al, uh was it is it Mike Huckabee had said in a 2014 uh keynote address to I think a, a large group of benefit managers was um, you know, look, it's either going to be concierge medicine or God help you medicine. And I think that that's, that's really becoming, um, you know, pretty true as of, as of recent, you know, with what we've seen occur with insurance plans and premiums going up is, you know, a lot more people are looking at this type of uh, quality care. And so I know that Cyprus is impacting a lot of patients' lives and a lot of physicians' lives. Um, one last question for you. There have been some uh, legislative laws uh, made in different states, um, helping to helping these membership medicine um, programs uh, move forward and stay relevant in that particular state. Do you think that? Um, and again, it's really a state by state basis, and there's sometimes there's questions that attorneys need to answer, and uh, we're not attorneys by any means. Um, but do you think that? those types of, uh, what type of legislation needs to occur yet, um, or what should be left alone? Well, I appreciate that question, too. I think legislatively, um, that's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of people with a much better understanding of, of what needs to be written in to protect. I know there's DPC laws that have been passed in, you know, a half or a dozen or so states, but I'll tell you where the impact really comes, and this is something that we're very we're very encouraged by. It's the ability to meet with payers, you know, large insurers, and, and really and truly, if you look at their position, that that dictates a, a, an awful lot as far as the landscape, state to state, um, of how concierge medicine is is uh, is being treated. So you can see some states where uh, a large payer has an adverse um, impact where a physician who has any membership medicine panel 
uh, is removed from network, and it makes it impossible for physicians to retain non-member patients. You know, and there's a, and I'll just explain this a little bit, and the, the systemically, the challenge we have with concierge medicine, and this is why we have such a pushback. It's not that the patients themselves don't get uh, overall the best care that they could, more attentive, more prevention, more wellness, and the costs associated with those as far as maintaining those individuals is significantly lower. We know that, and there's data everywhere to support that. But the challenge is, if 10% of the patients actually join the membership, and 90% of the patients have to go somewhere else, what's the cost of that 90%? And from a payer standpoint, those payers with the position of if a physician becomes a membership medicine physician, a concierge physician, they're removed from network. It gives that physician only one option, and that is they become a concierge-only physician. And we've demonstrated time and time again that for physicians who want to maintain their entire patient panel, they can if structured properly. It's legal, more and ethical. They can do that. And they have a smaller patient membership panel, not significantly smaller, but they still oversee those non-member patients and compliant with contracts and what have you. But it does not lead to a mass disbursement of patients, which creates a challenge to subscriber networks, like a Blue Cross of the state, for example. If they have a narrowing network of providers with the same number of subscribers, then it creates a massive challenge and cost to to manage those patients. And so when we talk about legislative, I think it's really, it's more of a business position than it is a legislative position. As payers begin to understand that concierge medicine is not negative, it's not a threat where for the things that I just mentioned, but it's an opportunity to retain great physicians and manage patients who want more. It's like if if you join a gym, that's great, it's fantastic. You go there for obvious reasons, but some people want a little bit more. So they hire a trainer. They still go to the same gym, but there's a trainer working with those who want more. So if a, if a payer would recognize the the value in the the position of retaining those physicians as an in-network provider, if they retain the balance of their patients who do not join their practice, then you've got an opportunity to be extremely impactful. The physicians generally uh, get exactly what they're looking for, quality of life, uh, both personally and professionally. Uh, They don't have to say goodbye to patients. Those patients don't go to the back of the line, don't go to urgent care, ER, or not get treatment when necessary, which ultimately leads to incredibly more costs. So this is this is the the position from a legislative standpoint. I don't think it's legislative, Michael. I think it's more towards the payers. As payers embrace concierge medicine and truly what it is, it's not a one size fits all. But there's a balance there that serves all, whether it's the patient who wants more, whether it's the patient who just wants to stay in the gym but it also allows payers to retain those physicians and all the expense, the cost associated with the 90% of those patient panels who don't join their concierge practice, it doesn't increase those costs on that side. So again, that's kind of a, again, I apologize for being um, long there, but if payers would recognize that, it won't take legislation is what I'm saying. 
If payers would truly understand the value of concierge medicine for those patients who want and need more can get more, but they don't want to, 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 to have dispersed large volumes of patients in a, in a community where they may already have a narrow network and then it just makes the cost of this whole system, it's, it's exacerbated. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, kind of stepped on my soapbox there a little bit, but um, no, that's excited. a great perspective, and I'm glad that you shared it with um, with everyone out there because it it's something that now they I, they can help identify that okay maybe this isn't need doesn't need to be legislated because that's a very long tedious arduous legal process and you know it can take the you know communicating with your local HMO or your local PPOs you know in your state by a physician can do that by writing them a letter. Or by having meetings with them, you know, is that something then you, in your brief? And we'll just we're ending our call here, our time today, because I want to be respectful of your time, Richard. Um, but in your experience with physicians, as they deal with some of these payer challenges in making their move into concierge medicine, um, what have they done, or what are you advising that they do with their current relationships with payers, or to communicate value? To those low, to those state by state payers, or do you have any advice for physicians? Well, I think uh, certainly it it offers some value to have um, someone again, not a commercial, but someone like a Cypress and affiliation there that can speak on behalf at at more of a uh, a global impact. Um, so I think that's that's helpful. But most physicians, they I mean they they know who they're. Uh, their provider contacts are, and it's kind of working up that chain. Uh, and again, we we follow those contacts to the point of, you know, getting directly to the, you know, president and CEO of, of payers state by state. And it doesn't mean that it's accepted. It just means that, you know, the, the, the consideration has been heard. And some have resulted in uh, payer language in the contracts that can accommodate physicians who move in a concierge way. Again, it's a it's kind of a um, it's a, a trickle flow flood position. I, I believe will, will be what happens because some payers are moving towards a much more friendly position. And again, there's a balance there, but it's a, it's one at a time. It's not the the length of legislation, no question. But yes, physicians who are considering that have a concern. In some states, maybe there's a commercial. Uh, ensure that is a significant portion of their practice and the loss of that CPT revenue or billing out of network and the responsibility of the patient and the 50% of charge and all of the things that go along with trying to accommodate out of network patients it's inconvenient for the patients therefore it's inconvenient for the doctors so in those situations you know we certainly recommend engaging with a letter and explain the value back to to the payer and it's a process and those decisions typically aren't made with a single letter or a single attempt, but it's part of the process of helping create a new perspective that makes total sense versus the position of old, which is more ignorant today than it is educated. And so, again, just like in the process of, you know, transitioning a practice, it's a massive patient education event. The same thing with payers, you know, and again, from an from a business standpoint, we typically use things like a SWOT analysis. It stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And every insurer, whether it's Blue, Cigna, Aetna United, whoever, they, they understand that and typically operate that way. And so we simply structure the, the consideration in 
line with those elements, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And unfortunately, many, many companies, many payers operate opposite of the way they should. So again, it's just a part of the communication process that we're excited to be a part of. We think it's going to impact um, you know, nationally, ultimately, what's going to happen. And to your point earlier, Michael, the growth in this space, it would be not just the physicians coming into concierge medicine, but the physicians moving into primary care medicine. So if you could restructure primary care medicine as it is, what it used to be in conjunction with what it actually is, there's a balance there. And so when we look at not just physicians today, where they are today, but what does the future of primary care medicine look like truly? What is it? 28% of physicians coming out of medical school are on the primary care side. Based on the number of patients, and we're, what, six years into the baby boomer retirement generation of 140 million new retirees during that, that 14-year stretch, we've got a massive need. So if we're not addressing, if we're putting a Band-Aid on the current physicians that we operate with today, that's fine for them. But what about systemically? What is happening? And so, again, all of this going back to let's not legislate it. Let's just make common sense choices and make changes. And again, that goes back from a payer standpoint. So I think when you look at where primary care medicine is today, how do you how do you increase the entry of great primary care physicians? Well, you've got to have a better future in store for them because they have the same debt structure typically of a surgeon who comes out of medical school. Okay, so how do we how do we restructure a primary care system in a way that works not just for the few today, but how does it work for the masses tomorrow? And again, I think the uh, a different approach, obvious consideration, um, will ultimately lead to that. And maybe through some of the changes in Washington, we'll begin to look th- look at things a little bit differently. And what if what if we had more competition? What would that entail? What if we what if we did some of those things? What impact would it have, not just today, but 20 years from now? Could we take that graduation or those those physicians coming out of residency from going at 28% going into primary care? Could we get it up to 40%? Because the quality of life is so much better based on where we're going, not where we are. Anyway, you there's a lot to us. talk about. Yeah, absolutely, and I could talk forever. And Richard, I, w- I appreciate your time today. Again, our, our guest was Richard Doty, of, uh, the CEO of Cypress Concierge Medicine. You can reach him at the contact information below, but also visit him on the uh, web at yourcypress.com. Richard, it's a pleasure. I could, We'll probably need to do a part two on this because uh, there's other questions I have um, that are related to inside the practice of a concierge doctor's office that we could we need to continue talking about um, innovation and mobile health, uh, you know, common calls, common problems. Uh, and I want to see uh, your perspectives on those is so important in this space. So thank you, Richard, for being our guest today. Thank you, Michael. It's been my pleasure. And I hope, uh, I hope uh, this information has been helpful.
Please note the views and opinions expressed in this interview are those of our guests or guest hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official views, policy, or position of any representative of Concierge Medicine Today or our sister publications. Additionally, neither the authors, organizations, nor affiliated partners shall be liable for at any time for any loss, damages, actions, or claims arising from the statements made above. Whether or not we or its affiliated partners have been advised of such loss, damages, actions, or claims, because the details of your situation are fact dependent, you should additionally seek the knowledge of a qualified attorney, accountant, or representative to assist you in all of these matters. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the interview.